Are you emotionally starved? Are you? Did you go pee in 30 seconds? (laughs) I did not. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Flip the Script with me, myself, and I, and my beautiful high five, high five, (laughs) co-hostess. I don't know. Why can't I do it today? We're so excited to be, oh, wait, hang on. Why is it not working? Look at this. Why do I have such a big hand? Okay, (laughs) we're not going to waste your time. We're so excited for tonight's show. We have not one, but two incredible guests, two incredibly inspiring women. Um, We're going to come on and talk about mindfulness, overcoming food addictions, um, self-appreciation, and just living a more mindful, aware life and how that can translate into so many areas of our life. And also the science behind mindfulness with one of our guests, April Davila. So Braca and April are both here today and we are so excited to get the show on the road. Yes. So let's bring on our Emma, drum roll. Oh, hang on, hang on. Ooh, I've got my two. Should I go into the conversation of Mr. Bick and how he went from inventing shavers to pens or is that for another show? That's another show. All right, so our first guest today, Braca Gotez is Harvard educated. That's right, people. Oh, I didn't wear my Harvard sweatshirt. I wanted to wear one too. Oh, I love it when people ask me if I went to Harvard and I'm like, no, I just got this off the street in Boston. But, you know, anyway, so Harvard educated author of 39 children's books and a candid memoir for adults about overcoming food addictions and how to do that joyfully. Sorry, I have a fan in the background over here. All right, so without further ado, let's bring Braca on. Braca. Welcome to Flip the Script, Braca. Hi there. Why don't we have a clapping track? We can totally do that. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy you made it. Thank you, thrilled to be here. Yes. So, Baraka, please share with us your, who are you? Your personal story from the beginning, the one you shared with Kelly and I about here you are in life, going into Harvard, and then what happens? Yeah, well, I went to Harvard because I was like searching for wisdom. I wanted the ultimate wisdom. I, I, at some point, actually it began around age 12, I started thinking, is this all there is? We get up every day to go to work, to make money, to eat. Is that all there is? I mean, what's what's the purpose of life? So I went searching into many different religions, all types of, let's say, social action, environmentalism, you know, experimenting with drugs, relationships. <laughs> 
everything. No, I was really searching. And, 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 and so I figured, you know, ultimate wisdom, I'll find it at Harvard. So I studied really hard so I could get in there. And um, basically, oh, there was this amazing garden party that I was invited to. It was like very exclusive. So I got there through my boyfriend and I mean, it was Kennedy's, Rockefeller's, the children of all like the famous people. I felt like I had gotten to the top of the mountain and I got to see there was really nothing special up there. What I were you doing, Rebecca? Sorry to interrupt you, but what you went to Harvard seeking wisdom. Where did you think the wisdom was lying in which area of study? I don't know. I was looking everywhere. I mean, I, I was even taking a courses in the Graduate School of Public Health, in the Medical School. I went to the Divinity School, the Graduate School of Education. While I was still, okay. an, yeah, I, I was still an undergraduate, but I was taking courses even on, on higher levels, searching for the ultimate wisdom. And uh, I, I learned with B.F. Skinner, like all these really great people in the psychology department. That was where I, I graduated with honors and everything, but like, it wasn't there. At, I like, at this party, I say that um, it was this beautiful day in May and all of a sudden it started pouring and the whole party was ruined and it was a garden party. And I felt like even all these famous, powerful people, they can't stop the rain from coming down. You know, <laughs> there's something more. What is it? I didn't know. I went on to medical school and, and meanwhile, like I'm giving talks. I was doing some breakthrough research on anorexia. And meanwhile, I was becoming sicker and sicker, like with food addictions. I looked successful on the outside, but inside I was starving. I, I say that I was spiritually starving. So I was just, you know, I, I people think that they can fill the emptiness inside with something physical, but it's not a physical emptiness. It's a spiritual hole, and that's what is needed to nourish, to, to nourish our souls. So basically, I just was getting sicker and sicker as I went on to medical school. And by then, <clears throat> I was doing really kind of bizarre behaviors, which which is what happens. An addiction controls your life. It's like an imprisonment. Um, you, you, it says I, you basically give up everything. Um, an addiction is giving up everything for one thing. And recovery is giving up that one thing for everything. When you recover, oh, it's beautiful. That, beautiful. that's when you get it back. So basically, I call an addiction a compulsive, uh, the compulsive use of something despite the harmful consequences. So intellectually, I knew that what I was doing made no sense at all. And that wasn't enough. Intellectual understanding, it wasn't enough to stop me from just doing crazy behaviors. Um, so the food addictions got worse. And then after my first year of medical school, I spent six weeks in Israel. I ended up going back into my roots and I learned about a heritage which I didn't know about. I got to study in depth and I found the nourishment that my soul was craving for my particular soul, which was a Jewish soul. I got knowledge about my heritage I never had before. And I felt I couldn't understand why when my soul was finally nourished, 
Did I no longer have the need for food addictions? What did one thing have to do with the other? It didn't make sense. I found my old diaries when I went back years later and I saw the thread going through my life and I saw how the food addictions developed and I began to understand that when I was finally able to nourish my soul, that's why there was no longer a need for the food addictions. <clears throat> I had everything else in life. I, I came from a loving family. It wasn't like I had trauma in my life. What was missing was only one thing, and that was the spiritual nourishment. So I consider myself a control. Many times a person needs more than just spiritual nourishment. They need therapeutic intervention also to remove all the garbage that's piled on top of our soul so they can shine again. But in my case, I needed the nourishment alone. And so once my soul was shining, that was it. I was, I was basically freed from the addictions. And what did I learn? I learned the most important thing I learned from a rabbi back then was that what the purpose of life was, which was what I was searching for, is to experience the greatest pleasure possible in life. And that sounds amazing. What? To experience the greatest pleasure possible? But the greatest pleasure possible are the most lasting pleasures. What brings everlasting pleasure? It's not food. Food brings temporary pleasure, which is wonderful. And it was actually designed to uplift our, our hungry souls. It could have been that we didn't even need to, to eat. We could have been made as people that didn't need any food, but we were, we were made to need food every day so that we could, we could express and, and we could feel gratitude for the natural foods that we were given. Like, um, like we were given beautiful, beautiful things like, like a little, a little tangerine that becomes bright and beautiful when it's ready to be eaten or an apple. You see, <clears throat> they're all individually packaged. Like we could just, portions. yeah, they're amazing. And then there's, there's all these bite-sized, bite-sized candy from, from the source. Rafa, for our audience watching who may be suffering with food addiction, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but sure. what, you know, you, you say you, you had food addictions, you overcame them, and now you're on the other side. But from someone watching you right now, who is going through it? What were you addicted to and what does that look like? Oh, like I would fluctuate between binge eating, tremendous binges, and then I would go on these extreme diets. So it was one or the other, and it had nothing to do with physical hunger, or I didn't let it have to do with physical hunger. It was all just this, this I was trapped in an imprisonment of the binge eating, which was so out of control, or the super controlled um, dieting. And it was very unpleasant. It was a horrible experience. What were you binging on? Um, I mainly junk food. That's basically like, I feel like it's junk food that's addictive. A person doesn't binge on apples. You know, that's just not what happens. You know? It's just not like that. So, um, you know, a person will say, I'm, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I have to eat this whole container of ice cream. 
if, if a person was really hungry, I mean, they could eat an apple or a few, a few apples, but that's not, it's not a real hunger. It's this desire for more sweetness in life. You mm -hmm. know, you want more sweetness at, or you want something to bite into, to crunch. You know, you want, you're looking for something salty or spicy in life, you know, but it's not, you're looking for more pleasure and you want the pleasure to keep lasting. That's the whole thing. If you just, um, if you really experience gratitude for what you're eating, then you, you are filled with a lasting pleasure and it uplifts your soul. But if you don't have that feeling of gratitude and you're plowing through a big bag of potato chips, mindlessly eating it, you're not left with gratitude. It doesn't uplift your soul. No, but you went you went to Harvard and you studied psychology. Yes. So you knew that you had a food addiction. Yes. So what if somebody's at home saying, no, I just crave that? What is the difference between a food addiction and a craving? Something like I crave sweets after dinner. I just I crave it every night. That's you know, that's me. It's not an addiction. How how would you address that? Someone watching saying, No, a food addiction is really serious. That's not what I have, although that sounds familiar. I, I call it an addiction when you are doing something compulsively and there are harmful consequences. If it's affecting your health, that's a harmful consequence. Um, we know that overeating now, it's, it's incredible that 70% of the population is considered overweight. I mean, that is tremendous. And, and we know that 60% of the food in the supermarket is not natural. It's, it's processed food and processed food is not directly coming from source. It's been stripped of its proteins. It's been stripped of its fiber. It's been stripped of the water content so that it's in such a concentrated state that it absorbs into our bloodstream in an unnatural way, causing our sugar levels to spike and it causes more and more craving our bodies are expecting the nutrients to come and they're not coming our our, our blood vessels swell wanting the good nutrients and they're not getting it it act the food is actually designed the junk food is designed to be addictive yeah. versus the natural food that is designed to be delicious and nutritious for us mm -hmm. so if we eat in a, in a natural way, the, the, the foods that are good for us, I'm, I don't believe in counting calories or any of that stuff. We just, just eat the healthy foods closest to source. It's the, it's the stuff that's packed with the vitality and it gives us vitality. The, closest, the closer it is to source, the more vitality, the more energy in it that we can absorb and we can shine our light into the world through eating nutritious food. Yeah. So what would you say? Well, I, I feel like I have so many questions right now. <laughs> if we have, what would you say to people that are looking for, you know, just some quick tips and tricks? Like what are your, what are your top tips and tricks here? Right. Like even if I'm eating something delicious and I just want to keep eating it because everybody wants lasting pleasure in life. That's what we all want. I, 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 I say to myself, really, if I eat, 47 more spoonfuls of this. Will I still want more? Yes. So that's not going to fill the emptiness inside. It's just pleasure that I want. 
What else could bring me pleasure? A person could could put it on their fridge or their cupboard, all the things that bring us pleasure. One of the things I learned is that there's five levels of pleasure and they correspond to the five levels of the human soul. The lowest level are all the physical pleasures. So if you're eating, you might want to, you're enjoying this, you're enjoying, let's say, um, you can go on and you can open the window, feel the breeze, feel the sunshine, or you can get up, start exercising or dancing, stretching. Suddenly you won't feel like finishing the bag of potato chips. You have a new pleasure that entered your life right that moment. Or let's say going up a higher level, the next level of pleasure is love. You can, and love, <clears throat> this definition is to, what, what can you focus on and appreciate about someone else? So all of these levels you could bring into your life at any moment, totally empowering, not dependent on anybody else. You can bring love into your life by focusing on what you appreciate about someone. So let's say you're just plowing through um, a box of pizza and you say, what else could bring me pleasure besides this pizza? You can call or text somebody. And even if you don't get them on the phone, you could leave them a message about what you appreciate about them. Just something you appreciate. Guess what? You won't feel like plowing through the, the box anymore. You'll have just uplifted your spirit to a higher level. And I was on another podcast. The, the, the guy was plowing through the pizza, knock on the door, and, and, and he, his neighbor needed help with something. He goes and helps him. He comes back. He doesn't feel like finishing the pizza anymore. He was uplifted to a level of meaning, doing something meaningful for someone else, even higher level of pleasure. And the two highest levels are creativity, putting yourself into the world, and the highest level is transcendence. When you, when you um, transcend your limitations, you break your habits, it's like the biggest joy just breaking it a little bit, doing something different, standing up instead of finishing the bag of potato chips and stretching. It's like the greatest joy there is when you, when you transcend. So, so all of these levels of pleasure are available to us at every moment. It, so the natural foods or the other natural pleasures in life, we can fill our life with all these things. And one more little tip I want to say is chewing slowly. <laughs> Absolutely. If you, if you chew slowly, guess what it gives you? Gratitude. It gives you that mindful moment to appreciate what's in your mouth. Because actually, we only experience pleasure for the few seconds that um, the food is on our taste buds. Once it goes down these tubes, we're not even experiencing that pleasure anymore. So savor the moment and then you have time to feel gratitude gratitude to source for all the blessings that we've been given so um and how long Raka, would you say that it took you to go from you know this totally unhealthy lifestyle and mindset where you knew that you were just physically unwell to you know to use your words to overcoming the food addictions joyfully because someone watching you now is going, holy crap, she's really over it. She's tasting life and she's transcending. That looks awesome. I'm here. 
How long does that take? That's what people want to know. How yeah. much work is ahead of me? They want a bridge. They want to need a bridge. <laughs> Just the main question I ask is, is it my body that's hungry or my soul? And, and, and I keep that question forefront in my mind. As soon as once I started nourishing my soul, once I got in the habit of doing that, that's, then my, that's it. My life started changing. And I just keep bringing more and more gratitude. Every rung on the pleasure ladder, the only price you have to pay to climb the pleasure ladder is gratitude. Just bring more and more gratitude into your life. Can you, can you repeat that for everyone to hear yeah. again? Just bring more and more gratitude into your life at every moment. Whatever you're grateful for, your breath, that there's a roof over your head this very minute that you're watching this podcast, that you tuned into this podcast, that you're a person that wants to grow and learn in life, that you have something healthy that you could eat, that that all the illnesses that you don't have right this moment, mm -hmm. and, and just be so grateful for whatever you have in life because we learn in the Talmud, it teaches who is rich, Whoever is grateful for what they have. That's I love it. that. You didn't what? tell me how long it took you. How long it takes. I mean, it, it's a lifetime. I know it's ongoing. It's ongoing. And I don't it, want to minimize it, it that. Is, because when you struggle, yeah. I still, you know, I talk to myself every day. I've struggled my whole life with chronic weight issues. It is a conversation. I love, love, love what you said about asking yourself, is this gonna nourish my soul? The way you said it was so beautiful. And it's I a wish, joyful process. That's I the wish whole I would have had that wisdom. But to go from the really dark, dark spot to being able to see the light, what did that look like for you? A year, six months? Throw it, me a bone. It all involves adding more joy to your life. It, it doesn't matter how long it takes because it's a joy. All you're doing is adding more joys in and in. That's yeah. it. And, and as Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he said, everything I have ever done has, has started small. That's it. Just be grateful for Take one thing. Let it go. That's it. Just keep it yeah. coming. Take step. One, more, one more question for you. Yeah. You say right before you eat, you know, is this going to nourish my body or is this going to nourish my soul? Love how it. would one feel when they find the answer? Like, how would they know what the answer is by way of like, how do you feel when you know nourishment versus like soul? Like, how do you know? That question only comes up when I when I begin to want to overeat. That's when the question comes to my head now. Is it my body that's hungry or my soul? Why do I feel like overeating right now? Oh, I want more pleasure. Of course I want more pleasure. That's what motivates everybody. We all need more pleasure. But it doesn't have to be this pleasure. It doesn't have to be the pleasure from food. There are, There is, we, eat, we overeat because of a feeling of scarcity. There's not enough pleasure in my life. We recognize when we recognize there's an abundance right. of pleasure. Yeah. Starts with mindfulness. We work we work with addictions all of the time as RTT therapists, and you know Kelly loves to talk about how the brains, the you know your your mind's job is to move you away from pain to pleasure, and so that's where the root of the food addiction is. It's your mind's job to to move you away from pain to pleasure. And there so, is so much pleasure available. Yeah. And so I think, Raka, the point is, is to be mindful 
And once you're mindful, you can realize that you can take a breath and say, why am I doing this? And then replace what you're doing with other pleasurable things to give you that satisfaction. And it's not a distraction. It's not a distraction. It's what life is all about. Mm -hmm. Having gratitude. This is what we're here for, yep. to, to have gratitude. Yeah. Well, we're so grateful for you. We're so I'm, grateful to have met you. Yes. I'm grateful for what you're doing. Thank you so, so much. So much. So anyone who's watching, Braca, as Kelly mentioned, has 39 children's books, which were all written to uplift the souls of children. Please go check her out on Facebook, on Instagram, and her memoir that I cannot wait to read. Yeah. And I'll actually write about it when I do. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it looking for God in the garbage or was it in the trash in the garbage that's right, that's looking right. for god in the garbage i mean what a compelling title to 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 even come up with so go check yeah. her out go encourage her she's on amazon um send yeah. her a message on facebook ask her tips tricks that's what she's there for so we're so grateful for you braca thank we you, thank you. Again, Stay in touch, Bracca. gratitude that was so all right she is i want to do drugs uh, what did you say? He said, "I want to do drugs with Bronca." No, that that was her 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 younger days. But uh, her you know, past days, energy, her energy of when you meet someone that just loves life. Yeah, you know, and that, and that has had like the dark night of the soul that didn't last a day or two, but many years. And I resonate so much with her because I was the kid at eight nine years old that would look up at night and see stars and go, "Why isn't anyone looking up?" Yeah. Everyone's just looking down. Everyone's talking about all of these like meaning, meaningless things. So distracted. But what's right here? What is there? There has to be something more to life. You don't just go to school, go to work, get a job, get married, have kids, and yeah. die. And so that, I re that resonated so much with me too because I remember standing outside right after I got my first job, and it was in finance. It was everything I was supposed to do, and I was like talking to my one of my friends and I'm like there's got to be more like this, this it? like I thought it. It. yeah this can't be it yeah you get to the top of the mountain and I always thought there was something wrong with me I don't know if you felt that way no, too always yes I thought, like there was something wrong with me like I should be grateful for mm -hmm. you know, for having this and being here and not question what else there could be I'm yeah. getting chills everywhere so yeah let's That's have drinks and talk about that later That's how fun. about we sizzle yeah, okay, bye. Okay, I'm gonna go sizzle now. Goodbye. Okay, bye. Oh my and God. welcome back. We sizzled. Our next guest is none other than freaking book award winner. I don't know. I'm not in the literary world, but April Davila, who is a fiction writer, whose book 142 Ostriches um, is available to anyone who wants to go purchase it now. But she just told us today that she actually won an award for it and she'll be able to reiterate what that award was. But we're so freaking excited to have her here. She's also a creative entrepreneur and the co-founder of a very important meeting, which you have to stay tuned and hear all about because it is the coolest concept ever. So welcome, April. 
Oh, we need Hello. a clapping. Hello. Hello. Oh, we do the drum roll for April. Um, <laughs> Welcome, April. Thank you for having me. Great Please show. Okay. the award because I butchered that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the Willa Cather Award. for. It's called Women Writing the West. And, uh, yeah, I just found out, like, two days ago that, that that happened. And we were supposed to tell anyone, and today's the first day I'm allowed to share the news. So, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so privileged to hear it here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm grateful for you. So yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us everything. Tell us who you are. Everything. Tell us everything. First of all, when I was doing my research on you, I, you could just tell your sense of humor through what I was reading, you know, just like even the fact like when, when you write about yourself on the internet, you know, you usually try and make it, you know, very bland and whatever. You can tell your sense of humor through it. It was very, <laughs> I appreciate that. So Tell us who you are, and then we'll tell everyone why you're here. <laughs> sure. So I'm a writer. I'm an author. So I quit the full-time writing job, which am I so resonated with what you were saying about having that job that you've – it was the job I had been wanting, and I finally got it. And then I, I was looking around at all my coworkers and thinking, like, are they all as miserable as me? How does everyone yeah. do this every day? I should be grateful. This is the job I wanted. And yet feeling completely like I was in the wrong place. Um, yeah. So that was a technical writing job. I was working at an engineering company and uh, it was a perfect merging of my two skills because I have an undergraduate degree in biology, master's in writing. And I basically, I call myself a nerd translator because they had all these like super smart engineers writing but then they would submit proposals to the city council and it was just so dense that their proposals weren't getting accepted so they hired me to rewrite the proposals in it not even fluff it just make it okay. very readable you know just uh take it from super fancy jargon to to conversational yeah. so it should have been the perfect job and i was miserable and that yeah. was about six years ago and i quit uh, and thankfully, my husband and I were able to make it work financially so I could kind of get on my feet. I finished the novel, found an agent, started doing more freelance work. And I mean, it, it was, it's been a road, but. Um, Can I'm, I I'm interrupt real quick? How did yeah. you have the courage to do that, to go from this boring wow. job that you just kind of felt that wasn't right and then figure it out with your husband for yeah. finances? Uh, you know, I really felt like I had no choice. Yeah. I, I was so unhappy. Um, and so first I took time off. I was like, I'm just going to take a little time off. You know, I found a therapist. I was like, I'm just going to do a little me time. But then mm -hmm. as the date got closer and closer to go back to work, my depression just got worse and worse. And um, I'd been writing for years. I'd been, I mean, I had two small kids. So I would get up at 445 every morning and drink, drink, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> but I was, I was like determined to finish this novel. I would write until the first kid woke up and then I would get them ready for school. I'd go to work, I'd come home, like collapse into bed, do it all over again. And um, so I knew the writing part was there. I knew I wanted to do it, but um, it just, I really reached a point where I didn't feel like, I just felt like I was gonna die if I went back to that job, which is so hyperbolic. I mean, looking back, it feels like, oh, that's such an exaggeration. But in the moment, I really felt that. I felt like my soul was just shriveling I was up. just gonna say your soul was slowly yeah. dying, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's when you're off course. Yeah. That's when you're yeah. off course, but so many people so often ignore it. 
because for financial reasons for, well, I went to school for this many years or, you know, there's so many responsibilities and expectations. And then the big one, what will everyone think? Yes. And so people end up just losing a piece of their soul and being complacent about it because they think that's what they have to do because the alternative is so drastic. And so, taboo like well you should have gone to find yourself when you were 16 you know now you're 30 and you're an adult and you have kids and you're a grown-up and you're like being crushed by the the weight but the difference is when you're 16 and you say i need to go find myself then your parents are like whoa no you're not going anywhere right and that's why this is so courageous yeah. Right? Like there's you. never a right time. You just got to follow your heart at all times, but that's not what we're trained yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, and I think finding the people who support you in those crazy choices are, is such, I mean, I couldn't have done it without my husband, I, like not even just the financial logistical parenting part of it, but the emotional part of like, I really want to do this thing. And him, he was my cheerleader every step of the way. And I, I think having doesn't have to be a spouse, but like, you know, a parent or a friend or like whoever it is, who's going to like say, hell yeah, go do that. Yeah. Yeah. And whatever's meant to be will be. Yeah. Like let's just not put any pressure on the outcome. Let's surrender the need to control the outcome. Absolutely. Or this and you'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. That's beautiful. Yeah. And there were certainly plenty of falling on my face as I made the transition and it's, it's process. It's a process. Yeah. But look at you now. I'm pretty happy with where I've landed. And it's I mean, you process. landed on this show, right? So <laughs> yeah, I found you guys. right? <laughs> so tell us about when you decided to study mindfulness. Where did that come up uh, in the transition and journey? It actually fits right in. It's, a, it's such a good question because when I found the therapist and the therapist is like, I think you should try mindfulness. Uh, and I had dabbled in meditation, like my husband and I had taken a class uh, when we were first married, we took a little Thursday night for six weeks kind of thing. And so, and I'd done a little bit of meditation, um, but that was when I, I, I actually got serious about it. Um, my husband and I ended up signing up for a program called the Meaningful Life class. And it was the first time, it was a little more firm like a lot of meditation classes are like oh you should be meditating this class was like you will meditate every morning for 20 minutes and you will tell me that you did it (laughs) like it was and i needed that i really needed that okay uh it was a call in. we called in every morning and you were expected to sit for 25 minutes every day and um finally getting a regular practice of mindfulness uh and then diving into some of the areas where mindfulness can be more useful once you have a practice because there's a basic practice that even just meditating a little bit every day or even a couple times a week, so good for you in so many ways. And everyone's read the articles about how it's really good for you physically, mentally, all these things. But um, if you get a little more serious about the practice, there's even more ways in which it can be beneficial in terms of like exploring some of the emotional reactions you have to things, um, digging deep on um, ingrained responses to things. You start to just become more aware of your own patterns. And so that was a huge part of my, realizing that what I wanted to be doing was writing full time and that I needed to leave the job that I was in. How? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> we just want to pick your brain. I know. I'm like, oh, I want to geek out with you so bad. So let's um, geek out. <laughs> How? So when you say that all of, you know, everyone knows about, you know, and have read about the, all the benefits of mindfulness and stuff. Sure. Not a lot of people have, you take that okay. for granted. So okay. give us I some backup. Back 
Yeah. I can back so, up. Yeah. So there's all kinds of research that um, even just a basic mindfulness practice. And so when I say just to be, we'll start at the very beginning. When I talk about mindfulness practice, what I mean is simply being aware of reality as it is in the present moment without judgment. That's how I define mindfulness. Love it. Love it. Uh, and it's it's one it's kind of like chess. It's like the concept is easy. The practice takes a lifetime. It's mm. particularly the non-judgment part. But yeah. when we can start to let go of judgment, there have been studies that show it can help um, diabetics level out their in their glucose levels. Uh, it lowers levels of PTSD in soldiers coming back from war. Uh, it can improve your um, blood pressure levels. It can, re it increases your immunity, which has been a big one in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, what else? You sleep better. You have less anxiety. You, yeah. I mean, and these are things that they just happen. And it's weird because you're like, all I'm doing is getting quiet with myself for a few minutes a day. But it, it's almost like a little mini vacation for your brain, mm -hmm. where our brains swing from thought to thought all day, every day. And the whole idea of meditation is just to like close your eyes and take a quiet moment and notice when those thoughts come in, because they will. You don't get rid of the thoughts. Okay, you April, but notice them. my monkey mind, you know, we hear this all the time. I've, I've tried that, but there's just, I can't shut off the monkey mind. Like, no, you don't have to, though. That's the beauty of meditation. No, and, and mine doesn't Say either. Again. Say it again so everyone can hear. No, nobody's monkey mind turns off. And I think that's one of, like, the biggest misunderstandings about mindfulness is that you're not trying to stop your brain from thinking. You just start to notice where it goes. That's all it is. And so again, when I talk about being aware of the present moment, so right now, you know, if I'm thinking about like, there's that little voice in my head that's saying like, oh, okay, are you saying the right things? Are you doing, and okay, okay, I'm aware of that little voice that's going in my head. And at the same time, I'm gonna be like, all right, it's, I'm just gonna keep talking and not let that anxiety be paralyzing, but I can recognize it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that that's so cool. you begin to notice the patterns where like, the most subtle, the, it, it, it comes up in the strangest ways where like, I'll like slam the dishwasher and I'm suddenly just really pissed off and I'm like turning, I'm gonna yell at my kids and I just have that like half a second moment of like, what's really happening here? Like the kids yeah. didn't do anything, but suddenly I'm pissed off at them. I'm like, oh, I had this memory of my boss sending me that terrible email. And so now I'm feeling pissed and I'm gonna take it out on the kids. And, and it just short circuits the whole cycle. And so your brain keeps going. Even yeah. in formal meditation, even if I'm sitting quietly, eyes closed, like the whole thing for 20 minutes, it's basically 20 minutes of noticing my monkey mind. Like, mm -hmm. oh, now I'm thinking about this. Okay, and then I'm gonna come back to my breath. And now I'm thinking about what I'm gonna cook for dinner. Okay. And I come back, yeah, they just pop, pop, pop. And the idea is not to cling to them too much, just let them pop. And yeah. just kind of coming back to this moment, I'm just sitting here. And, and that act, that simple act, is like a little spa retreat for your brain. Scientifically mm -hmm. speaking, it gives your brain a chance to just chill for a sec. Yeah. And tell us how we can look younger by meditating. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's yeah. a fun topic. Yeah. So the um, uh, I sent you the link, so maybe there's some way. Yeah. I don't know how you share that. We're gonna there... share this on Facebook, guys. April sent us okay, the great. link to the research she's gonna share with us, and you're gonna want to read it. It's pretty interesting. It's some really interesting stuff. So science has done a lot of work around the physiological things like heart disease and diabetes and post-traumatic stress. They're just now starting to understand how mindfulness can affect aging because our, our DNA, the strands, if you remember from elementary school or whatever it was, the, the strands of DNA that wrap together have little tags on the end. They're kind of like the ends of your shoelace. They're called telomeres. 
And as we get older, they shorten. And so shortened telomeres are directly correlated to what we consider diseases of old age. So Parkinson's, um, memory, uh, not memory loss, dementia. Uh, dementia. Yeah. So things that we associate with old age. Uh, they did a study with a group of people who were going into a meditation retreat. Now, granted, this is a pretty hardcore group of meditators. They went and meditated all day, every day for three months. But what they found is that their telomeres significantly longer than they started. And then what the, another study found was they did a study with, and this was much less intense. This was a group of breast cancer survivors. And this is in the article that I sent you. Um, and they had a group who did, um, they had just a, a usual support group meeting. And then they had an experimental group that did just a really basic mindfulness practice. And what they found was that the uh, the group that did the practice, the meditation practice, telomeres actually got a longer. Now it wasn't as extreme because the practice wasn't as extreme, but what was there nonetheless, which I just find fascinating. Amazing. And what about wrinkles on your face? Any studies on those? Well, that would probably be part of it. Yes. I don't know if anyone's done a study directly correlating wrinkles in particular, but we do consider that a part of aging. And if you look at old school meditators, like the really old nuns and priests, they look fantastic for like being in their 80s. So no data on that. But yeah. Well, if you think about all yes. what and breathing, yeah what stress does to you, you know, think about yeah. what the opposite of not having that. And that's what mindfulness, you know, the benefits give you. So yeah, yes. it totally makes sense. Yes. Stress is a killer. And, yeah. So no more Botox people just meditate. Just meditate. How was a very important meeting? You know, how did that come about? Because I love, love, love that idea. You know, I'm going to drop in and I think that's such a great thing. So can you speak oh, to I us do. about that? Yeah, so uh, this was about a few months into the pandemic. I was hosting a Friday morning group with some friends where we would meditate a little bit and then write. And it was it was great. It was just this wonderful little community. And then I found out a friend of mine up in Seattle was doing the exact same thing on Saturday mornings. And we started covering for each other if we didn't want to get out of bed or whatever it was. And then we said, well, hey, people are really liking this. We should, we should see if we want to expand it. And when we did, we did a little poll of everyone. We said, how can we best support you? And the, the clear answer was more meetings. So we gathered a, a couple more writers, or writers, but also meditators and teachers. And we have together and we lead 15 meetings a week. And wow. they're free. They're totally free. Do ask for a $5 donation. And people feel like they can see it, but it's, it's geared at writers. We know writers don't always have the money. So we say, if you can, $5. No pressure. So for five uh, bucks, it's just been the most wonderful community that sprung up out of COVID. Uh, so you just, you go to the website and you just click on one of the meeting times and it sends you to Zoom. You sign up for it. You get the Zoom link. And then you just you just show up, and that's the that's why we called it a very important meeting because the idea is that you put it on your calendar because so many times people like they want to write, they mean to write, but you don't never gonna find time to write. You have to make time to write. So you yeah. put it on your calendar that. and it's show up. Right? Yeah. I love that, and you know what? Yeah, yeah, I started exactly. a practice last year that completely changed my life. I started in August, and I started, you know, writing in a gratitude journal. And I had yeah. thought about it for months and months and months and months and months and never took the time. And yeah. so the first thing I would do is write in my gratitude journal um, every single morning as soon as I poured my cup of coffee. Nice. And so 
I feel like this is such a great way. If I would have known about this, that yeah. I would have probably started months before because I would have scheduled it in and then could have gone to my kids and partner and be like, look, I have a meeting. Okay? An important I have meeting. a very important meeting. Yeah. So even if it's my 15 minutes to write in my gratitude journal, you yeah. know, and doing it in a community of people, I love this concept. Well, and that's one of the great things about it is that we have some writers who are like, they're super serious freelancers. They're working on their third or fourth novel. We also have this huge contingency of people who do exactly what you're saying. Like, it's just an opportunity to sit with people, get a little meditation practice in, they write in their journal and they're like, oh, that was just a little me time. And they schedule it once a week. And it's like, it's perfect. It's exactly what they need in it. It's two birds with one stone, right? You get your meditation in, you yeah. get your writing done and you just, you get to feel happy and good about yourself. Yeah. Great concept. What it's would been you, so great. Yeah. What would you, um, what advice would you give for people who don't really have a practice, don't really know where to fit it into their day? Yeah. What would, what would you tell them? Well, my favorite example is actually one of my earlier students, one of the first women I worked with. And every time I met with her, she's like, I just can't find time. I'm too busy. I just can't find time. And what we, we kept exploring different options for her. And now what she does every morning, she comes down into the kitchen and she hits the little start button on her coffee machine. And she timed it. It takes three minutes for her coffee to brew. And while, and she just stands with her hands on the counter and she just like smells the coffee and she hears the birds outside the window and she just like feels her feet on the floor. And that's her meditation. That's, you know, that's when, awesome. when she can do it, that's when she does it. And, and it, she's told me it changes her life. Just yeah. to start her day off with just that moment, instead of launching immediately, you know, what do we do the first thing, right? We pick up our phones and we start doom scrolling every day. Like what a terrible way to start your day yeah. versus I anymore. a few moments. You know, I yeah. can't either. It used to be like that. And for the last year and a bit, I don't do it anymore. And it's changed my life. It's part of it, yeah. of just being in the moment of, even if it's just, you know, waking up and saying, I'm so comfortable right now. I'm so yeah. grateful that I'm, you know, that I'm alive another day. This is going to be a great day. Wow, this bed's really comfy. That was yes. lovely. Or whatever it is, like, man, I'm hot. Too many covers. Or, oh, the sun yeah. is shining. Whatever it is. But just to take that moment. And then I do that too. I go downstairs, mm -hmm. smell the coffee. I love it. You know, like, open the curtains. Yeah. And now I'm the at the hour before checking my phone because I don't want to get stressed. That's, yeah. that's, that's, Emma, that's what I was going to say. The difference is that like you're, you're starting your day not – somebody or some other outside yeah. thing starting it too, yeah. you know? The expectations, the emails. And then when you have a personality like mine, you're like, well, I can't keep them. I can't leave them waiting. I got to answer this email. Oh, this yeah. person sent me a reminder. Oh, half an hour. Mama's going to get her coffee, and, you know? Yeah. And, and as Kelly knows, that's my cuddle time with Jack. I have a 10 pound Shih Tzu. And I have a mindfulness practice and it's, it's a real thing. I tell her, you know, she'll text me and I'll say, sorry, my cuddles with Jack. And it's not meditation. She will not talk now. Yeah. <laughs> I go downstairs. I, you know, get Jack out of, of uh, the entranceway and he watches as the coffee brews and we take deep breaths and then we go back to bed and we snuggle and we're grateful. Yeah. And that's the best thing that's ever happened to me going from that's this wonderful anxiety. Practice. There's not enough time in a day. Oh my God, how am I going to get through all of it? Start yelling at the kids. Come on, you're going to be late. Let's go. Let's go. Rush yeah. Why do I always have to yell at? Now it's just Zen. Yeah, it's amazing what it can do. Just yeah. to take a moment and set yourself up for for the way that you want to go versus exactly yeah. 
Yeah. You drive your day rather than somebody else driving it for you. Yeah. Yep. And that's living, right? Instead of just existing and going through the motions every day. It's just taking yeah. a moment to, to enjoy life. Yep. You're so inspirational, April. Oh, I know. Can we be friends with you? <laughs> totally. Let's be friends. Okay. With a literary thing winner of important things. Yeah, I just jumped in there too. You were like, "Can we be friends?" And I'm like, "Me too." Hello. No, we're 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 in a relationship. We're a trio. We come together. Here, high yeah. five. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We come together. Wait, I can't. I can't do it. How does it? There. Right there. Oh, oh <laughs> this is too much fun. April, we're gonna send all the people to your website into a very important meeting. And yes, I feel like this you. is not the last time we're going to chat yes. and you will yeah, and pop into we didn't get to talk about the, um, the addiction and mindfulness. I don't know if we have like a minute, I could just run through that smoking study that we were talking about. Three minutes. I can totally do it in three minutes. Cause I feel like it's such an important part of the way that mindfulness can affect things in that same vein of like, you don't need to be sitting in a certain posture. You don't have to do, you can just take a quiet moment for yourself. It's the same idea. And your previous guest was talking about this a little bit of like, when you go to the cabinet to pull down the chips or whatever it is, if you take that moment and just ask yourself, you know, how do I feel right now? And there was this one study done about smoking and I, I gave you guys the link, but if you, and actually, I think I sent you the audio um, interview. It's like a 10 minute snippet, totally worth on, listening to. It will be on Facebook right after this interview. Super. Um, so what he talked about is he did this study. He's a psychologist. I think he's out of UCLA and what they, they took a group of smokers and they didn't tell him not to smoke. That was not part of the program. All they said was that when you pull the cigarette out, take a moment, like look at, think about how you're feeling and then as you smoke it, think about like, what is this experience? Like, what am I, what am I tasting? What am I smelling? What do I feel in my body? They didn't at all tell them not to smoke. They just told them to try to be aware of the experience of it. And what they found is that within a week, it was like a 30% drop in smoking. And just by like being aware of people were like, actually, I, and this isn't so pleasant, yeah. but without any intention of stopping, right? It was just being more aware of the experience. That's it's remarkable and they, it has so many applications across like when you think about eating and say you are trying to eat less or trying to eat healthier, but instead of putting that pressure on yourself of like, oh, I'm supposed to eat healthier, like go get the potato chips. But as you're eating them say like, do these really taste as good as I wanted them to taste? What is out of habit? Like, yeah. I'm sure that's what maybe, the we're feeling like is, what is this habit? You know, why yeah. am I smoking right now? Am I pissed off? Like you were saying, am yeah. I angry right now? Does, yeah. You Cause know? you might realize like, Oh, I actually, I was just like, I was having a fight with my best friend and like, now I find myself eating potato chips. Maybe I'm just angry and go ahead and eat them. But as you bring that awareness, you will naturally just stop in this example, it was smoking, but they are also finding it to be true with eating that, that simply bringing awareness to the experience of it can help you change your habits. And yeah. that it doesn't have to be this thing that's like full of shame and like, oh, I shouldn't no. be, or I, you know. And it's not simply. about talking, like you said, and that's what we say all the time is, you know, try not to eat in front of the TV. Sometimes your schedule make it so that you have to eat at a desk or while you're working, but be mindful of the portion that you're putting in front of you because it's so easy to get distracted and lose control. Yeah. And it's the same thing because you're distracted, right? And yeah. so to just focus and ask yourself and sit in a quiet place if you can and enjoy your meal and just be more mindful. Yeah. Ask yourself, do I need the whole bag or can I pour it in a bowl? Yeah. 
Am I done now? You know, and that done now could come at any point. And it may be that like, you're not done. You're just going to eat some more and that's okay. Yeah. No, not today, folks. My BFF was real bitch. I'm going to eat the whole bag, but tomorrow we'll go back to asking the questions. Be gentle with yourself. Yeah. And be gentle. It's non-judgment. That's the mindfulness is learning not to judge, right? Yeah. Not learning not to judge, learning to observe let the judgments, judgments, let go of the judgments, right? Yeah. Notice them and let go. Notice that little voice that's talking to you about uh, like what you're doing says about you. Oh my God, like, I love oh, Michael Singer. I don't know if you've read The Untethered Soul, but he calls it the roommate that lives in your head rent free. And when I heard that, I was like, I was you know, beside myself because I've been saying that for years. Like there's someone who lives in my head rent free and he goes on to, you know, to describe it exactly as that. Like you're sitting there and then you're thinking about the lights. Oh, I didn't turn off the lights. I should shut off the lights. Oh, I should go refill the bag of chips. And, and so you're, that roommate's constantly chattering even when you're sitting there trying to do something completely rent free. And I yeah. just love that. That's, so that's really good. There, but you'll learn to kind of just be like, hush, hush now. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for yeah, I have to stop this beautiful love. All right. We have to go. Thank you so nice much. Nice with you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye, April. Congratulations. Okay, we gotta go, bestie. Bye. Wait, oh, hold on. Don't wait, buy wait. yet. Wait, Friday. Friday's a big day. All right, you got one minute. I have one minute to tell you that. Friday is August 6th, and it is the season finale season one finale of Flip the Script with this this hottie and I. And what a season it's been. We're so freaking excited. Friday, you get to meet fantastic women who are going to share their stories of transformation through hypnosis, through the Kema method um, that, have, that have been working with us over the last few months. The results are phenomenal. And we're going to talk to you about season two and the live transformations that that's going to take place over a 16-week weeks with three incredible women as well. So stay tuned. We're so excited. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.